This is Han Solo, and you're listening to Octo Radio, a Star Wars podcast. I don't know. Fly casual. What is going on, everyone? And welcome to a brand new episode of Octo Radio, a Star Wars podcast, the Andor editions, which I keep saying I'm going to put on the graphics. I never do. I didn't come up with a clever name the way that like Alex and Molly from Star Wars Explained did or the way Imperial Senate did. Uh, theirs is called Not Another Imperial Mining Disaster, which I think is hilarious if you've seen Not Another Teen Movie. But I digress. We are here to talk about Andor. We're here to talk about another episode directed by Toby Haynes. This time, though, Bo Willeman is doing the writing from House of Cards. It's called Narkina 5. I could not do it myself, though. So I decided not only to reach out to another podcast host, but to reach out to a team and include the silent, <laughs> the silent hitter behind the magic. So you know our first guest, from many different creative endeavors with uh, the Mondo side of things, with the Funko side of things, of course, also as contributing for Star Wars Insider and Fangoria. But then something else started to happen in the Twitter sphere. Then another, a master ring was forged, you could say, off in the shadows. And that was this presence of, oh, you know, don't let me buy this or don't let don't let Maggie see that I'm buying this. And then all of a sudden Maggie showed up to Twitter and then Maggie made another Twitter account. And that is not Talking Bay 94, but Talking Bay 94, like the young kids say. And so now we have both Brandon and Maggie Winerdy here, our second married couple. So I can't give you the first no, I can't give you gold, but no, we can't. We can't be. Not all of us can be Star Wars explained. No. And, and yeah, it's like if I had a nickel for every time it happened. But it is cool that it happened <laughs> twice. That's two nickels. Yeah. That's two yeah. nickels. That's two nickels. So how are you guys? How's everything? Doing oh, good. good. Yeah, that's, I'm. Nice. I'm so flattered by that intro. <laughs> well, it's like you know everybody. Everybody has a different sort of entry point, and I think it's always fun the way that you've leaned into the bit of it all. And how, you know, obviously, Brandon, your presence online is always hilarious because you're not only so knowledgeable and a killer interviewer, and you really are. And, you know, I'm not just saying that because we've talked before, but the idea that we are public facing and that people know a little bit about our lives, too, and the way that you guys have embraced that we got to meet at Star Wars Celebration. (laughs) Um, What a good time. Yeah, it was a blast. And it was great to see you both there having a lot of fun doing panels and everything um walking around realizing how tall brandon is that was kind of that a was disappointing. What everyone said. I, really uh, yeah everyone, everyone was like you're taller than i expected i also i forget how tall you are yeah but yeah f- trust me you, you see him all the time for those of us that don't i was like who is this this tall king what is going on I don't like oh, this. That is that blast yeah, points. Blast points, guys. Are, are, they are honestly guys. getting lost in a cl- in a crowd. It is so helpful having them as friends. To just like I'm looking for a, any any blast point, you can always see a floating head. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that was that was a lot of fun. And I don't know. Are you going to London? Do we know that yet? Yeah, going to London. We haven't bought any plane tickets or hotels. But we have the badge. Yeah. So we're committed. How we're about all you? in. Are you, are you going? Yeah, I've got. Got the tickets and badge set. I have the hotel. I don't have planes. It's going to be a lot. Yeah. yeah, it's absolutely going to be a lot. And we'll make a vacation of it and do a pub crawl or something. And by that point, Andor will be over. And we'll probably have some Andor season two to look forward to. But for right now, let's talk about episode eight. Now, it's an interesting one. We're coming off of what was sort of the break in between the arcs. How have the two of you been feeling about this one? Just in general so far before we get into the specifics, because we haven't talked directly about it. We're all, you know, we tweet, we praise it, 
We're loving the creativity. We're loving the different lens on it. We're loving the different tone. But is there a different feeling in your house when you're watching it? Because you're not waking up for the same excitement. You're. It's right. almost like instead of 3 a.m. and I'm having a blast, it's 3 a.m. and I'm like really thinking about somber topics. <laughs> I'm getting really stressed out Yeah. Um, with a cup of coffee. Yeah. Uh, we've been really enjoying it. We've been waking up and watching um, as much as we can. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like it is not, it's very, I, the, I love this show. Let me just say that it is very funny because you cannot spoil this show, right? It's like, you really cannot spoil it, which is so fun for just like seeing how some parts of Star Wars Twitter are reacting or obviously no cameos or anything like that. It's just mm-hmm. like, there's a story. And so like, if I don't wake up at 7am to watch the show or whatever it is, uh, it's not like it's going to be spoiled although I which have, is a welcome change but i still wake us up yes but not as early up. as we used to yes um, yeah so i'm not as stressed but um but then the show makes me stressed and so here we but in a good way in a good i stress. think it's really interesting i mean it's there's something really fun with what we had with kenobi about the continuation of, of characters and stories that we're already really familiar with but this is fun in a totally different way and that like yes some of these characters we've had exposure to but really getting a sense of like what's going on elsewhere in the universe outside of these storylines that we've been following through all the trilogies, et cetera, and all the things that are happening in in tandem with these stories that we know, I think is so fun. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the the world that we're living in now, where it's like you go back to New Hope. I've always sort of said that without realizing it, George Lucas and Alec Guinness created together in that Obi-Wan exposition hut scene, the way we tell stories now. Back then to say something like, you know, you fought in the Clone Wars, like that was just like a that sounds interesting. Now, directors, writers, executives, they want those moments. They want to throw in a mention of something that could later be a book, could later be this, could later be that. And Rogue One sort of has that a little bit with Cassian with the whole idea of the characters, the Jin, but also us not knowing what he'd done, what he'd been through. It's alluded to he has sort of this harder edge to him. So to be able to explore that here add so much context to everything especially for characters like mothma that go all the way back to return of the jedi so it's been really interesting to see sort of how she is sort of having to come down from on high and maybe get her hands a little dirtier but on the opposite end you have saw who they're trying to come up and say you know you could you could at least talk to us you know you could at least communicate uh and so we'll get we'll get into him definitely but starting sort of start categorically by storyline this prison stuff, which Brandon, Maggie, we're all pretty plugged in. Like we're on Twitter a lot. We 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 hear rumors. Our podcast, we don't run and report leaks. That's not what we do, and things like that. But sometimes it's unavoidable, and you will see things. That said, I think that Andy Circus being in this was the most <laughs> tightly kept secret. Did you hear about this? Because I uh, no, stunned. I did not hear about it. And I'm looking at Maggie's notes because when he showed up on screen, I was just like, I freaked out. I was like so, pumped. I was so pumped to see him. Yeah, um, but I've not heard about it. My um, I I rewatched it with my brother-in-law this morning because he's in town and he yelled in the exact same place in the exact same way. It's <laughs> great. great. What a what a champion! Yes, he's the best. It's amazing because it's it's you know he's introduced sort of to that workshop area and then there's the sort of like a wide shot and you could see Andy approaching him. But you don't see his face <laughs> yet, but he starts to talk and I was like. It can't no no way. Like yeah. it sounds a little bit like you know because Andy's. 
and he does so many voices that his his sort of standard is almost hard to play sometimes but he gets a little yeah. bit into like the you it's not very familiar well though. you know why it's familiar it's because uh, this is a plug for audible i guess but he just re-recorded all of the lord of the rings and Hobbit <laughs> audio books yeah he's <laughs> literally like the best but that's how i fall asleep we'll we'll switch off and so like if she's not able to sleep we'll listen to the harry potter audiobook but if i'm not able to sleep we will listen to the andy circuits lord of the rings audiobook so that's why it sounded so familiar because you listen to it every night um, oh that's brilliant that's so good. Yeah, it was great. And I remember recently, like in the last couple of months, having said like, yeah, you know, there's a lot of characters that that were you know portrayed by voice actors and, you know, they don't look like their characters. And so they're, you know, they're being changed out now and things or it's people that played CG. So I was like, man, Andy Serkis should get to play somebody. Tia Sarkar should get to play somebody. I did not expect it to happen this soon. Uh, I love it. I love, And it's also, it's kind of like the anti-cameo. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. like with, with, with all of this, and we're not really getting like, oh, like, I guess the closest we got was Elarn, which is such a funny cameo and all of this, but but him like being Snoke, but then showing up just as a new brand new character. It's just like, mm-hmm. oh great, wonderful. Like this is the kind of you know, the Warwick Davis showing up a bunch of times. Like just it's just another like Star Wars player. And I think his character is very compelling. Um the kind of positioning is like he he has his own sentence, but has some power within it. It makes all the dynamic. My notes literally say prison scene, very cool, very creepy, very dystopian. I think that really plays into it. Yeah, absolutely. I was saying on Twitter that we've had a lot of let's, you know, unpack what George was looking at and what George influence was influenced by. You have episodes of Mandalorian that are straight up things like the searchers the same way New Hope is. You have the Yojimbo Mandalorian episode. Solo is very American graffiti. This was Star Wars now doing THX. It was yeah. this, it was sort of the last George thing that we had yet to really do in Star Wars, unless you count A Sunny Day in the Void and Clone Wars, which I think right. Alex did a whole video about how that's like THX, which is great. Oh, yeah. um, but this idea that the environment itself is the weapon that, you know, remove your shoes and everything because you are constantly, you're constantly brushing with death. And the fact that this episode goes as far as to and you know and there's already discussing maybe they should have put a content warning on this one like they did yeah, really, really yeah. yeah it goes straight into the the depiction of a prison suicide which was yeah crazy crazy for star wars but but really it's own i mean into what they're showcasing here and it really is probably one of the more like bleak star wars things that we've we've seen in this world and uh, really really fantastic and really interesting and really well told and course it's tony gilbert right so you can it's just like whatever he's trying to say within the star wars universe is so it's so fantastic like it really is a true like filmmaker doing exactly what he wants just with the fabric of, of star wars which is which is really really great to see yeah do we yeah. know what they're making yet uh, i guess that's a good question i was assuming it was a tie fighter part that's that's what it kind of looked like to me yeah um, I, I, they kind of i've heard people say are they is it mining equipment? Is it, is it Death Star stuff? parts? Is yeah. it, you know, they, they don't know because there was that drop about like the shipments to Scarif and a couple right. episodes ago. So yeah. it could be any of those things. And, 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 but any of them, I love the idea that it makes them complicit, that it gives yeah. more of a personal stake for Cassian and for Melshi, who's, who's the other sort of like good to have yeah. back in action. Yeah. That's a, uh, again, a nice little fun. It's like an, again, an anti cameo. Like it makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. They don't like they they're not like appears much right like it's just kind of like he's there and if you know it you know it. and if you don't know it you don't know it and it's not a a huge huge part of it but I love I love seeing him 
yeah, so nice. the whole the whole idea of like a prison break, like how he will factor into it. So the relationships being formed at that table, the way that people are sort of they're being turned against each other, which is one of the yeah. more interesting things. It's like sort of very Stanford prison experiment, like the entire mm-hmm. idea of Andy Circus's character, like he's not a villain. There's that article going around saying finally he gets to play a real good villain in Star Wars. It's like, well, Oh geez, one. I didn't see that. Oh, yeah. He's a yeah. prisoner. It's yeah, a it's a thing like on like, it's like yeah some polygon article or whatever. Oh god, okay. <laughs> no shade toward the writer, but it's like but yeah, he it's a... he, exp- he verbalizes that he's trying to get to the end of his sentence, um, and that he can only do so with a productive room, which is sort of this interesting thing that the Empire does makes you turn on your own and makes you. Uh, it causes fractures sort of within the communities, which we can also see sort of in the Ferric storyline where yeah. Marva has been trying to open up this this floodgate so that rebels can enter. And it's like, what rebels is she talking about? We don't know. Um, but she's injured and we can see sort of how the worry is starting to set in in the prison, in the Mothma storyline, in the Ferric storyline. So Outside of the prison stuff being extremely dystopian and scary, what are the other things that stuck out to you? Favorite character moments, favorite beats? Because this is much like episode seven. We're now at a place where the entire cast is in play every time. I like, I'm I'm intrigued by the hand signing between the different um, like tunnels of people. I don't know what it's doing yet, but I think it's very interesting. And again, kind of creepy and adds to like, where is this going? Like to some degree, we know it's, there's going to be some degree of a prison break because we know he gets out, but there's right. like still some mystery as to how it's all going to come together. And I'm very intrigued by that component. And I think, I mean, on a larger scale, the scale of the prison is fascinating, right? Like I was trying to grasp it where they were like, okay, you're in, I forgot how they framed it, but it was like, you're in this room on this floor. There are this many tables in this room, but then there's also this many rooms on this one. There's this many floors, but you know, like mm-hmm. you think about the extent of what they're really going through and how many people are in this prison, all doing the same exact thing, um, and all experiencing this, and you're just seeing a that tiny, tiny microcosm of it um, is really, really fascinating. Uh, and again, like like you're saying, the the actual like the the floors being weaponized and the prison itself being weaponized against the prisoners is a, a really it's a little on the nose, obviously, but it is a really fascinating way to use Star Wars technology in a way that makes sense to like really drive home the point that like they are not safe. And they were talking so much about how how humane they were and how you know all these things. You're like, no, you're like on the constant edge of being tortured, or like like you're 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 you know you're not wearing shoes, which I think is another like huge you know dehumanizing thing, yeah. right? Like they 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 take them off in the um, ship, which. That's a separate sidebar. I was really trying to pause there and look at those shoes. And some of them looked a little, I was like, I thought I could buy these. I thought I could buy these slippers or something. Like, they, <laughs> look like, um, they look like snowboarding shoes. Yeah. Real clunky. Well, no, yeah. Um, and then the Air Jordans on the, from the, <laughs> the short arms. I was like, wait a second, what are we doing? This is- yeah, no, it, it would be a circle of hell for me to be, to have to walk around on metal floors all day with no shoes on. It would be so uncomfortable. And I know there's worse parts of this prison, but I'm like watching these guys walk around on metal floors barefoot all day. That sucks. Yeah, no, That's it's, bad enough. It's, it's the discomfort. It's sort of the threat that it can get worse at any point because it's already it's already a, a a minimal discomfort at you know you're already feeling like your agency's taken away and the shoe stuff obviously with the historical context of all the dehumanizing things we've learned about especially during like you know Nazi Germany and things and like what was taken and all that they've never been subtle about 
their allusions uh, to that era and to that regime. Need we remind everybody, stormtroopers. Yeah, so like <laughs> Star Wars isn't political, though, Alden. It's so weird. I, I know. Star Wars has never been political. That's that so weird. I don't. Sorry. Crazy that they're doing this now and never before ever. Uh, I was uh, sorry. Just to confirm, I'm being sarcastic. Maggie has told me that I that uh, I feel like everyone knows my political standings and how liberal they are. But apparently, uh, whenever I make a joke, sometimes I say it with such a straight face that people don't think that I'm joking. So I would like to say for the record, that was a joke. As far as it's very political. Do not uh, at this man. Yeah. Do not do not at me. We did have someone it. show up to the house surprised by the signs in the yard, by which signs were in the yard. And I was like, okay, we need to. We had a bunch of better work signs in the yard. And my friend was like, oh, I wouldn't. I wasn't. That makes sense. But like, I wasn't sure. <laughs> oh, no, I got we need to be more clear in our language. Yeah, you were you're like, it's time for everyone to... go vote. Yeah. If you're in oh, Texas, yeah. go vote for Beto. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Let's the, the, this episode will come out in time for that. Please, please. We have people here on this call from Texas and I'm in Florida. Like, please, for the love yeah, of all that yeah. is good. The, uh, the dynamic duo. If two states tag team to do something stupid. Oh, yeah. They are the they're like the the jackass MTV jackass of states of just figuring out any way that they could hurt themselves and others. Um, so definitely, yeah, go vote. And uh, if you were watching Star Wars and you thought that, that it was your way to block out things and that it's escapism, yeah. I understand that to a certain degree. But uh, this this especially is not the one for you. This could not be more clear. I mean, the first arc is just a cab. And then this arc is yeah. anti, you know, imperial it's, prison it's the industrial prison company. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, Gilroy's got a checklist. I mean, here's the thing, which is Star Wars is always that avenue to learn more about the world around. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think this show is doing a really fantastic job. Uh, hopefully, like, again, we're watching this as adults, but I bet there are 15, 16 year olds also watching this, waiting for a few, few bang bangs. But like, having this kind of think about things maybe a tiny bit like just you know and like that's a great introduction for for people just to like go okay like, let's start questioning the world around us let's start thinking about you know what we're complicit in or what we're doing as yeah as humans and you know that's i think star wars at its best and that's obviously where this show is is hitting on so many levels both dramatic but also uh, with what it's what, what it's trying to say Absolutely. And that's the thing that we forget sometimes is that it has to land differently for different levels, either of age, of understanding, of experience with things. And so uh, you know, a great example is like Star Wars in recent memory has had a huge focus on found family. It always did, but really, especially during the Disney era of the right. ghost crew, of the sequel trilogy trio, of Din and Grogu of Omega and Hunter like it just goes on and on and on and on and some people say oh do we need another and it's like well it could be someone's first one it's the same thing that you know that Stanley used to say with Marvel Comics which was yeah Spider-Man's villains they always get out of jail they always you know they're always gonna strike again but every comic has to be somebody's first comic and if Andor is your first Star Wars and there is someone out there where that is true which is a weird thing to think about but it is possible they're going to say, oh, okay, so this is the lens that we're working with. And then when they go to the prequels or they go to the originals or anything else, you'll sort of be able to find those parallels because you can't watch a Mothma scene ever again in anything else in Rebels or Return of the Jedi or the deleted prequel scenes and not see this woman, what she's going through, what we know she's been through. They talk about her backstory here and we can we can bounce back to the prison later if we want to. But, you know, Mothma stuff for sure. Let's talk about her. This idea, first of all, 
you you both agree, right? That her and Tay were a thing before her and Perrin were a thing. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah for sure. They, come on, it's just the 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 tension is palpable, um, and it's and it's depressing, and you could you could tell because we know that was an arranged marriage. Yeah. Um, I don't they don't think they say the word arranged in the show, but Gilroy has said so. They got yeah. married at fifteen. She's a senator at sixteen. That's just terrible. Um, Which what is it with Star Wars planets mm. and? making teenagers politicians yeah yeah um, politicians or monarchs just like oh yeah she's how old is she uh she's over 12 she when was how old was padme when she became a senator oh a senator but she was 14 as a queen i know but and like then, so she was 16 as a senator and then how long was she like was it what are the what are the terms and, and links? So 20, yeah because she's queen for a bit after phantom menace because i think they because she says in clones they wanted to amend the constitution so she could be queen longer um after she's served a full I'm sure, time. I'm sure i can pull up the ek johnson book and give you an exact one yeah i know I, i've got them sitting over there too uh yeah it's 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 a whole thing but but it's a great point like the burden of the children in star wars it's constantly falling onto the youths 19 is such an important age in star wars luke is luke and leia are 19 in new hope anakin's 19 in attack of the clones when he becomes the hero anakin skywalker and ray is 19 in force awakens I don't know if that's intentional. It just worked out that way. But yeah, the 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 you can feel it sort of trickling down even to her daughter. Like, what what's this nervousness that's going on with her daughter and everything? How do you feel about the way that this family is sort of interacting? Because it feels very intentional. I don't think Gilroy just does things. He's not that kind no, of writer. It's very every because the daughter is appearing so much, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it's very interesting. Where I think at the beginning of this show, you were very much supposed to think that her husband might be you know, either in real spy or just like totally mm -hmm. over what her, his wife is doing and is trying to sabotage it on his own. But now as we get more and more into it, where he feels a little bit more just like he's given up, but the daughter is very aware and is, you know, as part of as part of being a politician's daughter, she is present at all these dinner parties and all these things. But she's there. And is she listening? Is she, you know, um thinking about the best way to you know, go against her mom in a teenage rebellion way, or is she really like a believer in, in what the Empire is doing? And again, like you were saying earlier, we, we know mom's history to a point, right? We've seen her in books and movies and shows, and we've seen her after Return of the Jedi as well, like in Bloodline. Um, and we've never gotten mention of a daughter, right? Like, so something has to have happened, right? Either they're estranged or, or otherwise. So I'm sure we yeah. will hear more and see more soon. But it is an interesting new wrinkle into the modern not mode at all. Yeah, even as recently as Princess and the Scoundrel by Beth Revis. Exactly. There's the conversations that are like, she's like a daughter to Mon. They have right. this maternal daughter relationship, but never does she come up. And it's like, is that because just a new creation will fit her in later? There's always that real world element, but it's really interesting for sure. And uh and Maggie, you were saying how much you're loving the Mon Mothma stuff. Uh, what gets you the most about her, or is it several things? Is it the intrigue? Do you already, do you already like sort of spy thrillery, political thrillery stuff, or is it because she's so different? She's a different kind of Star Wars hero than than we've had in terms of like I don't think she has ever pulled a blaster in anything ever that we've seen her in, but she doesn't need to. Yeah, I I do I do love a little bit of a a political spy thriller. Uh, we also love. A strong female character which uh, we love bringing more of those into the star wars universe because they do exist in our world um and, and yeah the 
playing on so many different fronts mm-hmm. all for a similar goal but at different angles and I think that's such a, a complicated position to be in and she's kind of always on the edge of something going wrong and she has to keep it all very together um playing all these different things this complicated marriage this complicated relationship we're seeing with her daughter uh her role in the Senate and then what she's doing behind the scenes I think it's all very interesting and she's just always so chic as she does it her dinner yeah. parties they really stick to a, a color-coded dress theme for the different parties and I appreciate mm-hmm. that just on an aesthetic note um for the costume designers it's it's gorgeous and I know we're kind of on the the Mon space right now but I I think it's really interesting having that in tandem with what we're seeing on the imperial side where we have another female leader on the other side of the political position who's also doing the same thing on different fronts and is they're like kind of masterminds in their own way but on, on different sides and I think that's really interesting to watch that kind of two two components of that yeah yeah two things about what you just said one the dress stuff they really really are destroying it they are knocking it out of the park with the production and costume design and you're so right about the like not that I'm some fashion expert but I've had that thought of everything she wears looks like her apartment is part of her outfit like the it she, she's it's perfect for their setting the sort of the whites and the golds of their apartment are amazing uh I you know I'm much like you Brandon big like visual dictionaries kid all that stuff like come on I understand why the Mandalorian ones all got canceled I get that there was expansion plans they couldn't have accounted for but there's got to be an Android one right there has to be I thought you were about to say that you and I are the same in terms of wearing all black all the time Um, oh that too too. yes Uh, maybe not the fashion icons uh that that star wars is now requiring us to be right mm-hmm. um i would love to be more perceptive of, of what she's wearing and why she's wearing it but yeah, i've been blown away with especially with a character like mon mothma and what we've seen her in the past i want to say in revenge of the sith deleted scene she was wearing something slightly different than what she was wearing in return of the jedi but then when we've seen her in Clone wars or yeah and in rebels like it's always been kind of the white with the silver you know it's been very almost uniform uh, and this is a nice extension of that and a nice um, a new way to approach my mouth for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also sort of the 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 advantage of shows where it, it, it you know, Din Djarin aside, because that's the part of the story is that he's wearing that armor all the time. But the the idea that in films, it's like, OK, they get their outfit, maybe two outfits per movie, mm-hmm. um, you know, Han and Empire. That's Bespin empire han he's just that for the whole movie um leia gets outfit changes but no one else really does it's farm boy luke it's you know bespin fatigues it's black clad jedi you don't really get a lot of variation but in shows we have been able to expand that out and sort of get more the idea of yeah they have a life they go to bed they wake up the next day they pick something else to wear just like another person would and it um adds a huge element of of just humanity to them with luthan as well how rich wig luthan he has that overall aesthetic but the robes and the vests and everything do change and present a lot of opportunities what breaks my heart is that if this was back when we were all kids we would have had figures of all of them i know we would have had now we, we get nothing eight we, get, we, we are getting a mon mothma black series figure mm-hmm. i'm like hey maybe i buy this Can I, 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 yeah i can I, I try not to buy too many figures anymore but maybe we maybe we do it I support it. Yeah. I'll be getting her. I got to get Luthen. 
I gotta get Bix too. I'm, I'm gonna end up getting all of them. I know I'm such a yeah. Especially because they put well, that was all with the with the um with the plastic free packaging. It's a little which frightens me. Yeah, then... I like I keep them. I mean, I keep most of them in the box. Mm-hmm. And now that the box looks bad, I'm like, oh, maybe I open my toys. That's my yeah. for the Indiana Jones. Like, oh, I'll just open them. That's fine. Yeah, the indie line is super exciting. I cannot wait for that. And we'll have to do some indie stuff up on the podcast uh, as we get closer. Because okay. I had this realization. Um, I might cut this out. I might not. So if I didn't cut it out, you're getting a tangent now. Um, yeah, inside baseball. We have never had all three Lucasfilm properties firing at the same time. How surreal is that? That is yeah. so strange. That... I'm still waiting on a Tucker, a Tucker project. Then, right? We need Tucker Man in his dreams. That's true. We need Howard the Duck. We need a Radioland Murder. Radioland Murders. Yes, yes. That that needs to end up on this. Give it all to me. We did, but then also we have Monkey Island going right now too, which is mm. crazy. Like you think about ones that are kind of made up an impact. So yeah, no, I'm, um, I love. I'm so excited for Willow. I'm, I'm so, I'm so excited for Willow. So. Yeah, yeah, same. We're gonna be covering yeah. Willow over on. Casually talk now that rings of power and house of the dragon and, are done. Yeah, use your next fantasy show. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Yeah. So, back in Andor land, let's talk about Luth and Rail and sort of what's going on with him and Clea because there's something interesting there where she was presented like his assistant, and she is yeah. for all intents and purposes in the shop, but they don't agree on everything, right. and they're clashing quite a bit. How do you feel about these two characters and where they're at right now? And then we'll veer off into his meeting with with his meeting with a special guy. Um, yeah, it's very interesting because you were right. Like how it was presented in the beginning, especially how she is one that like is is kind of running um, interference during all the stuff with any additional people that come into the shop, and she's not the one that's actually communicating like the information. Um, initially, you're like, oh, she's just the assistant. She is, you know, part of it. She's trusted by, it, but she's not necessarily a major force in this but now we're seeing more and more like she is right alongside him in all of this which is very exciting and very interesting especially because as you said we're starting to see more and more different viewpoints on what the rebellion means right obviously we've seen um them and Mamma talk right and as we see with saw like people have very different opinions what rebellion means and what's the best way to to uh fight against the empire and then with this you have people that are technically on the same exact side right they're in the same room in the same shop mm-hmm. but they also have very different opinions and very different you know styles of how they want to approach things and i think it's just really further painting this picture where i'm i'm interested to see how they tie it up because we were very aware that the rebellion had different factions and had different ideas mm-hmm. but i don't think to this extent right and i think everything that we get into this formation of rebellion it just shows more and more how improbable and impossible it was that they won right which i think is what Rogue one did fantastically where you're like oh it required this infinite amount of um, possibilities for them to send the Death Star plans up, but then came to to escape, but then lay it to set, you know, and then it's like all these things that had to have happened for that first, first Death Star to explode, right? So, like, you're getting all the way there and you have rebels to help with that, but it really makes it like very impossible, which is fascinating. Uh, and this is just another element to all of that. Maggie, what about you? How are you feeling, sort of, about? the way that Luthen is is running business. Do you feel like Clea feels that he's slipping or are you sort of, do you find yourself being on his side uh, in his scenes? I don't know. I'm, I I don't know how I feel about him and his judgment. Uh, Cause coming into it, you know, he 
from the Cassian perspective, he's like this, he's, you, you're meeting him for the first time. And in that part of me, like wants to think of him as, oh, he's somebody who knows what's going on. He has a grip on things almost like, like, you know, Luke meeting Obi-Wan is this is like kind of like a mentor in this process. And now he's kind of spinning off and he's making some decisions where I'm like, oh, every, no one really knows exactly what they're doing. Mm. Everyone's trying again, their different tools to hit loosely the same goal. And so there's, he feels like kind of on, on shifting sand to me. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. And it ties perfectly in with Saul. Let's talk about it. He goes off to this Saw meeting, which was more, there's nothing wrong with it, but it was definitely more understated than I thought it would be. I thought that Saw Guerrero was sort yeah. of going to be like the dramatic, like, oh, we have to call Saw. Like, nope, no, he yeah. just like, you get the idea that he visits him maybe frequently. Like they do business. Yeah, and toys. Yeah. yeah, he sells them stuff. And so... We're heading off there. This is a, I think visually it's supposed to evoke sort of a rebel aesthetic. It reminds you of Yavin, but it's not. You see two tubes standing guard. You see an X-Wing and everything. And this meeting starts off in a jovial sort of way where they're both obviously happy about Aldani because they are two of the more hard-hitting, if not the most hard-hitting rebels. And they're like trading like, a, nah, that was definitely you. Nah, I had to yeah, be you. Yeah. Nah, I'm not going to admit it. And to see Saw Gerrera, Forrest does such a great job. I say Forrest, like I know him. Forrest Whitaker, Academy Award level actor, um, does such a great job of taking his Rogue One performance, but backing it up to a less yeah. damaged place. Like he's he's really good about the continuity. Even in Rebels, his he's getting there, but there's mm -hmm. a little bit more oomph to his voice. But so that when he's in Rogue One, he is destroyed when he's on the breathing right. machine and everything. Um, I love this scene. Tell me how you two were feeling about it, about the idea that what, what fascinated me is the spectrum of trust is that Mothman wants to trust people. She wants to engage and create the network. That's what she's about. That's what Tay and her are doing. Luthen is there telling her she's too trusting. But then on the other end, he's telling Saw, you could afford to be a little more trusting. It's a little heartbreaking because you know where most of these stories end with in terms of their relationships, right? Like we've seen Mon Mothma's um, reaction to um, Saw's, you know, antics in Rebels, right? And they're very almost antagonistic at that point, right? They're, um, and then you get to Rogue One where there's like not contact at all and like literally need to break someone out of prison in order to contact him because that's the only way that he would possibly take a meeting. And that's how many years away. That's not that far away, really from what we're seeing at this current moment. And I wonder, again, we, we don't see Luthen in Rogue One, right? We don't see Luthen in Rogue One. So I'm wondering if he was kind of the linchpin, right? He's he's like kind of the middle ground of it all. And if you lose him somehow, or if he steps away, or if he pa passes away, whatever it is, then maybe that's what kind of breaks up the rebellion in this sense. So it's very interesting. And like you're saying, it's funny to see him like smile and like drink a little bit and, and hang out. And like obviously be trusting of his friend. Uh, I'd be very interested in how they met and like what their initial like interactions were, if they ever fought together before. Cause even with them not saying who did what, it's very interesting because that means they're not really in communication about plans. They just know that they're both anti-empire and both on a similar side. Mm -hmm. But the fact that they're not trusting each other is interesting to me because it it, it already is putting it on a level that, you know, they wouldn't necessarily like fight next to each other so we'll see my only other comment is you see more very briefly in the background very very briefly and he didn't get enough screen time um, my little white 
Yeah, yeah, no, he needs he needs a spinoff of his own for sure. He really is like honestly one of my favorite alien designs. I I I, I agree. I told totally, I, I talked to Ian White played him, and I was like the best, the best. I think it's so funny. He's like this. He reminds me of like a a, a long haired dog in like the summer and the worst climates for a long haired dog, right? Because it's just like he's in like hot. He's in Jeddah or he's on this planet, right? He's just like not equipped to survive or be comfortable on these planets, um, which is you know. Yeah. What about you? What do you think of Saul? Of Saul, yeah. I mean, I think I think y'all said it all. My and I just I've said this before. I love getting all of these backstories every time we go in and watch the original trilogy. It's like adding more layers. Like they really were just like the final 1% of this story and how many people like were a part of it and agreed and disagreed and failed and like what a massive effort it was. And we kind of just saw that last little like ceiling of the deal to, and it really took all these different pieces and it just makes it so fun. Yeah. I mean, between Obi-Wan Kenobi and Andor, you cannot watch A New Hope in the same way that you used to. It, it, everything plays differently, every sort of bit of context, you know, which Rogue One had already done, especially in terms of uh, of the, be the beginning with the actual chase that, that kicked off all of Star Wars. It's that, you know, we know where Darth Vader's headspace is at. We know where the Imperial headspace is at. Seeing you, Lauren, now in this episode, and we'll move into that side of things because we have to talk about Deidre. We have to talk about everyone's favorite fail son, Cyril Karn uh now employee of the bureau of standards hating his life and a cubicle um quite relatable to for many i'm sure uh the entire idea of the way that we're seeing their side react which is what luthan wants luthan wants to instigate that way they get more aggressive and that can then cause more uprising he's willing to sort of take it on the chin in the hopes that everybody else will rise up, which is a dangerous strategy. And that's, you know, you know, Brandon, you kind of alluded to it. What is going to be the breakdown? What is going to be the splintering um, where Saw no longer is talking to them? Does Saw go too far? Maybe this person that Luthan wants Saw to meet with, it goes really south and gets violent. And then all of a sudden, you know, they can't trust him anymore. Who knows? But the Imperials, they're approaching this with a tighter grip. They're trying to be more unified. They're trying to try more ideas. They're trying to listen to each other. And it's weird to see, especially the previous episode, someone like Partagaz, uh, played by Anton Lesser from Game of Thrones, the way that he agrees with Deidre that things need to be expanded out. It's like Deidre gets her ideas finally heard. But then in this episode, it's sort of the you give her and she takes a mile. She was our in. And the show kind of played played it against us. Like, we wanted Deidre to win. Because it's like, again, you know, Maggie, you talked about it up front. The the idea of Deidre and Mothma being on opposite sides, but both having the same sort of, like, women in positions of power, being taken less seriously, being seen like an irritation, um, applied even to the villains. And she, we were happy when she won that argument last week. But now that she won it, she's <laughs> going to Ferrix. She's torturing people. She's... Right doing all these things and has proven she is still an Imperial. So how did you feel about the way that she approached her business and also the scene with her and Cyril where Cyril was trying to be like, can I be your sidekick? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I thought that they would like click right away. And I love that she's still just not having it. I don't know what his deal is. He's got like a major chip on his shoulder and she's just not here for any of it. And um, while she is, she definitely has evil tendencies you have to admire how good at her job she is 
and like from her perspective she's she's doing the right thing which doesn't make it right but like she at, at the beginning everyone's kind of sees her as as crazy and, and neurotic that she's reading so deep into it but she is she is right and she keeps finding them out and the way at the at the end when she's like no i want i want uh for her to see the guy being tortured but then as soon as she walks in she's like no she he wasn't supposed to see this because she's just really playing everybody so hard it's i mean it's admirable to say you support r- women's rights and support women's wrongs and it's women's wrongs i can't help but yeah <laughs> supported a little bit within the context of fantasy yeah i know we flipped the coin up we got some wrongs that's it's wrongs this time but you're right within the context it's it's again it's an in thing it's the who's the emotional in the difference between hero and protagonist the difference between antagonist and villain andy circus in the prison is not a villain he is an antagonist Deidre Miro mm-hmm. is not a hero but she is a protagonist and that's that's a weird thing that I think like the digital media landscape especially has kind of destroyed that nuance because of stand cultures. You know, it's like we want to simplify everyone down. You she can be you're in and you want her to defeat Blevin and girl boss her way through and get her friggin reports. But then once it happens, you're like, oh, oh, but I still want you to lose. Like, I, yeah, I'm... <laughs> I mean, it's a very interesting time in our media landscape. You were saying we've had a lot of black and white stuff for the past few years, mm-hmm. and we're getting to a point with our pop culture, with our mainstream shows, with this and I think House of the Dragon both being great examples of characters that like maybe you're not supposed to like, you know, completely agree with, but still necessarily quote unquote root for, right? Yeah. So I think that's an interesting uh, thing for these you know showrunners and filmmakers that are now trusting their audience a little bit more to be a little bit more discerning, and again, some of the audience is not willing to be like oh yeah of course um this guy is completely right and you see a lot of complaints but as we move into this new era of of storytelling it's nice to return back to a little bit more of a gray area for a lot of these characters i think that encourages more interesting stories yeah yeah and the thing about star wars that i love that this show does so well is that it always plays in gray, but it still comes down to a choice. Like as far as Andor veers away from traditional Star Wars, depicting things like, you know, the the very obvious uh, police commentary, uh, the death of Skeen, the suicide in this episode, the hanging of Clem, that stuff feels so off of what Star Wars is. But we know that it's the journey toward being captain cassian andor of the rebel alliance like it is it's like cassian is becoming a part of star wars in real time and we're seeing sort of we're seeing more creatures as the show goes on we're seeing more of coruscant as the show goes on it's sort of guiding us in because we know he will make the choice to side with good and in the same way that deidra made her choices here you know she was able to push through but she still made the choices to torture to capture bix and all that stuff so I love that Star Wars can still do sort of like, you know, Tales of the Jedi. We'll be talking about Tales uh, on a future episode with uh, the Pink Milk crew. The idea that you can say, I understand you, Dooku, as to why you are the way you are. But I can still say that your actions are wrong. And I and bringing in the whole idea of understanding. It's like the difference between sympathy, empathy and just logical reasoning. Um, I don't suddenly think like it's, it's not like oh Deidre like it's it's very memeable and fun to be like I can fix her uh, but at the same time it's like yeah it, it, she can be compelling and still inexcusable which I love I think that's it, yeah. you're right it is very modern 
very modern TV for sure. Um, how did you feel about everything going on on Ferrex? Since we're talking about her, she set up shop there. She has control of the system now. I alluded to it earlier and touched on it a bit of Marva uh, being a, kind of injured, kind of sick. It's kind of vague what's going on there, but she's not doing well. Brasso returns. Love that guy. Um, yeah. He's helping look after her along with Bix, and it's a bad time. It seems like it was brought up on a previous episode that this Ferrix is sort of like the Lothal of Andor. It feels like all storylines are going to converge here uh, at some point. So how are you feeling about everything going on? It's funny that you say that it reminds me of Lothal, because every time I see Brasso, I think he's Ezra. Like, just like, it's that orange, mm. and I'm like, oh, it's Ezra. Ezra's here. There's a lot of orange in Star Wars. I was thinking about with the prison suits. Yeah, and your X-wing, X-wing jumpsuits. Yeah, but, it's a, anyway. but yes, uh, it's very interesting seeing what's happening there and then building the base and then having the hotel and having Marva, who was so gung-ho in the last episode, now being weakened, right? Like, pretty quickly. I guess some time has passed, obviously. But it is, like, what has happened, what is going on, and then you have all these elements that are all looking at her, right? They know that she's the linchpin um, across the board. And so it is kind of like a an interesting dichotomy between her wanting to do even more and not being able to. And if she does more, then, then she could be caught or whatever it is in some, in some capacity. Right, right, absolutely. And I think that, you know, just in terms of Bix has already been through so much yeah. and Marva and the Marva being an, an elderly woman, like it's just, it's hard to see sort of like, you know, you don't want your, your grandma to like go through that type of stuff. And so right. there's an immediate empathy there for her. Uh, Maggie, how have you been feeling about the characters on, on Ferex, all of whom right now, except for Brasso, uh, it's like a, a lot of our, we were talking about strong women characters. All of our women converged on Ferex in this episode. Yeah. We had Vel, Sinta, we had Marva and Bix all there all having their own storylines. Yeah, I love it. I think it's hard seeing like the world that that Andor left behind, the people who at the beginning I thought were going to be a more core part of the story. And now it's kind of like we're seeing them fade into the background because mm. uh, we know he's going to go on and do other things, but they were really central to his life. And now he has kind of embarked on this journey uh, and left kind of a mess in his wake and the people who have been been there for him are, are left to pick up the pieces and bear the consequences for some of those actions which is again like you want to see him go on his hero's journey and we want to see where he's headed and we know that where that is is going to be important for the larger story but on like a, a human level it, i think it's interesting to see this angle as well yeah, absolutely. The human angles really come to the forefront here in a lot of ways of just about what people are losing. Like Marva's losing, obviously, on a very literal physical level, um, which has sort of been seeded throughout that she doesn't have money to keep the heat on and she doesn't have, uh, you know, she, she walks on a cane and then she takes her, she takes the long way home. Like her life's already hard. They're bringing up these different elements that are happening with Bix right now, obviously. Now she's in imperial custody. Is there going to be some sort of Bix breakout? I hope so, because, you know, Brandon, you already touched on it. Luthen's not in Rogue One. There's a whole bunch of people that aren't in Rogue One. There's so many people that are on the chopping block uh, potentially here. And uh, it, it does it does sadden me to think about some of these characters potentially dying. Um, and two of those characters are Vel and Sinta. And I was so happy to see that Sinta made it off of Aldani because it was unclear what was going to happen there. This is 
of course, you know, there's always more work to be done and they can be, they should be, and hopefully they will be more explicit about their couple nature. But we did get the admission of love here, which was a, a much better step than just a hand touch in the previous episode. It's like they're, they're doing it. Let's do it a little bit harder. I think we can <laughs> all agree there. But this idea of you love me because I'm a mirror that shows you can't remember the exact quote either shows you what you want or what you what you wish for who you want to be whatever the exact quote is how did you feel about that idea that relationship sort of being explored emotionally romantically because it hasn't been a it hasn't been too too much of a romantic show star wars is usually decently romantic and this one has bix and cassian as exes but this this is our couple right here because mothma and parent do not count that's not a couple yeah, it's it's very interesting to see their relationship and that mirror analogy being very overt. Because then you think about it in the larger sense of this entire show, right? Most of these characters have a counterpart on the other side of the mirror, right? And like in this episode, you get a lot of that mm. very overtly, right? You get Saw and Luthen sitting down, you know, you get even Deidre and Cyril sitting down for the first time, you see it over and over again. And so with them being a mirror, right? Since Envel being a mirror, it is interesting because are they trying to say that they're going to try different things for the rebellion, right? Are they both, they both obviously were very committed to the rebellion because they were both were on Aldani, right? They both had the same idea of what rebellion meant for Aldani. Now though, now that Aldani is done and they're going their separate ways, at least for this mission, does that mean that their relationship will be strained because they will be approaching it in a different way? It really is. It's the scene was too short, honestly, because um, I want to see more of the relationship. I want to see more of you know what they're going to do together and apart, and what that means um, for the relationship, but also just for the rebellion in general. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Maggie? How did you feel about this this difficult conversation between? girlfriends wives fiancés it's ambiguous but yeah yeah i history will call them roommates <laughs> oh, um, no. oh god it's so brutal it's accurate uh, no i i i appreciate the because i there's a lot of like hints that i think were meant to be picked up on but you gotta appreciate just like calling it what it is um with bell in particular i think she's been so interesting because she the way she like code switches and plays off of different dynamics like mm -hmm. from the beginning where um you know she's being told that she has to take this person on and then she switches and now she's in charge of this team and that's like her communication style and now with someone who is still a part of that team she's kind of a softer one in the situation and and she's not the one who's pushing the story forward and we saw a very different look from her um for styling last last episode and now she's kind of back was glam now she's grunge again and so it she hasn't been super consistent in the energy that she's put off in all of her interactions and the, the way she's presented herself and then like her own objectives have kind of shifted throughout um which kind of gives me a sense that she's committed to the cause but it's kind of lost on her place in it and so i'm interested to see how that plays out and and where that goes i love that i love I, both of the things that you both just said synthesized together really is such a great point because what does saw ask luthan it's the who are you luthan like who are you really and so when you combine the mirrors aspect when you combine what you're talking about maggie with this this code switching with this visual changing of 
I don't really know where I fit in, what my role is, what part of society am I in? That's such a big part of this show. We've got, you know, two of the biggest Star Wars characters, Cass and Andor, Mon Mothma, were in the back half of the season. They still haven't met because their sides of the worlds are so different. So really, who are you and where do you fit? Those are questions that he will then challenge Jin with later. You're going to keep your head down or are you going to be a part of this? Who are you? Are you just like someone with a, an arrest record just waiting for the next fight? Um, those are the things that he's being challenged with here. And I, in terms of the mirror stuff, that's why I loved the killing of Skeen at the end of the Aldani arc because that was Cassian gunning down his worst instinct. That was dark Cassian. That was what he could be mm. if he made, if he decided to make the wrong choice, if he decided to be the worst version of, because as of right now, he's always been getting to the next day. Um, sometimes sleeping with people's wives, as we know from that first arc, uh, owing everybody money and not doing anything sustainable. And Luthan warns him about, do you want to give it all at once or let them take a piece of you bit by bit by bit? And that's about the soul. That's something that Skeen clearly has already gone through. He's only in it for himself. And that's why he loses when clashes with Cassian. It's also interesting that Luthan says that considering Luthan and Saw are friends and Saw literally will piece by piece by piece be destroyed sort of in the as the rebels sort of vader analog there but this whole idea of who are you is so interesting as it permeates all the storylines because i don't know about the two of you if you have opinions on this who is the real vel is vel the the from the dirt rebel that we saw in aldani from you know the the trees and the mud and everything or was Cinta's line a direct dig at her where Cinta says, or maybe I'm a rich girl that ran away. Is the Coruscant Vel the real Vel? Yeah. Cause like, I feel like of all the characters, she is the most like compelling on screen. Cause we really have not seen her as much as the majority of the other characters on that level of that caliber in this show. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we'll see more and more as things start to converge you have to assume that at some point they will meet back up with Cassian in order to carry out whatever Luthan told them to do, right? And mm -hmm. so whenever that happens, I feel like they will come back together again, and we will begin to learn more and more about what what they're capable of and what they what they really are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I feel like with with Luthan again, you have the he's playing one version of himself without the wig, and then another with, but it it feels clear when he knows he's playing something mm -hmm. and with Val, it's 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 just hard to tell uh which makes me wonder if they're just holding out on us or if she herself is is struggling to feel like she knows where who she really is in this puzzle last person really want to talk about is the serial of it all and mm -hmm. someone who definitely doesn't know who he is he has this moment with Deidre we talked about what Deidre's doing on Ferrix, but she also is trying to use Cyril as a little bit of a tool trying to figure out what he does know is is he's hard to pinpoint because I don't I don't see him sort of like a you know callous and rebels type like he he's gonna make a change and realize the error of his ways I do think that he's too committed and just too buys too much into the ideology but I also think that he is no longer the the main villain that he thinks he is I think he thinks that him and Cassian are arch nemesis and that's just not the case. Um, is is he going to prove to be a problem? You think for the ISB? What was that? What did you get from that clash? Yeah, it, it definitely was a clash because they're both so passionate about 
law and order, you'd think that it would kind of fall together seamlessly and it's not. So I think that's a really interesting choice that they made. Um, I think, and I liked what you said about him, he, he being the main character in his own story, for sure. Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting seeing, again, the, the way that the first episodes felt like they were and how we're kind of moving on to a bigger storyline and leaving some of these smaller storylines behind, both on his like personal relationships and also on his like OG enemy um who is still just like just thinking about and or he's got he's been exposed to all this other information he's right next to a woman who has a ton of information about this like larger conspiracy theory and he's still just like i hate guy who lost me my job and he made me look like an idiot and he just can't get over that yeah what about you brandon how are you feeling about this uh very obvious comment on internet men <laughs> i wasn't gonna say anything but <laughs> uh, I, love, I love it i love his little tailored suits and his little tie um i i really just want um i want to see where his story goes because every time he's put into a position he's so like maggie was saying determined to prove himself right for something that now has happened months ago or whatever nobody cares about me and no one no one's thinking about it cares about it obviously we know that it's like kind of important just because we know that cassian and himself is important but really even right now cassian is not an important figure even still like yes he was involved with the aldani raid but like that doesn't necessarily mean that he has any power in this version of rebellion right like they're looking for a lucan they're looking for a mama they're looking for this but like if they captured cassian right now which they have technically but like if they captured cassian on the basis of the aldani you know raid you wouldn't be able to help them you wouldn't be nothing would be accomplished really besides just putting him away Mm -hmm. um and so that's what's interesting is what's the phrase seeing seeing the forest for the trees right like yeah. they're so pinpointing they're so focused in that it's 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 almost humorous because you know that eventually it'll it'll work out and eventually Cassie will be one of the people who captured him for the rebellion I guess that'd be a big deal but as of right now that is small potatoes when it comes to what the rebellion is playing what the rebellion is hoping and what you know the eventual goal of this all is so it's a very funny um thing and i again cyril is uh it is such a well written well acted character because you immediately get who he is you immediately understand and he is he's not gonna grow right now he's not he's just he's the same scared kid right that just is very very focused on the wrong things and on the wrong side yeah he's on a he's on a power trip he he desperately wants something to believe in which i think is such a key theme for the show wanting to believe in like the bigger idea who are the real committed ones that was something that was really prevalent with the aldani arc with mothma with luthan and saw cyril though believes in falsehoods and we've seen through his mother like how he believes in accomplishments he believes in uh things that don't matter like to get like status at a job i still love the way his mom was criticizing his outfit and he's like, well, what does my collar say? And she's like, it <laughs> says I'm desperate. Look at <laughs> I me. love his like, mom. <laughs> she is a riot. She's so great. Catherine Hunter is a brilliant actor. Um, mm-hmm. So I've loved all of that. But as we start to wind down to loop our conversation, we've sort of talked about everything. But the prison is lingering over this. There is this idea of sort of the prison as this this sort of we talked about sort of like the floor and everything and the mental torture and everything has this sort of idea of like the star wars battles being mental how has that landed for you two as fans because it, there is less pew view 
There's nary, nary, even like uh, we've seen TIE fighters fly by more often than we've seen them actually fire um, on anything. Star destroyers show up, but they don't launch TIE fighters. It's all like the implication of violence more than anything. And when Andor's battles are happening, it's dialogue. It's at the parties. It's with Luthen and Saw. Even things like we're going to make you fight through work so that your food can have flavor. Like yeah. stuff like that, that is so just like psychological warfare. Do you find yourself missing almost like, I think that was the beauty of having Tails come out, was sort of like yeah. a, hey, here's this also, um, yeah. show you everything that we can have. No, I really enjoyed it. It's been a nice change of pace. And we've had we've had so much Star Wars this year, right? We've had both of that we've had, uh, Kenobi, we've had this, we've had Tails, right? It's all these different types of Star Wars. Yeah. I think it's all obviously valid Star Wars. With this in particular, again, with it focusing on character, with it focusing on flawed characters, you have very vis- visceral prisons, right? You have an obvious literal prison. Then you have things like the cubicles for Cyril. You have, you know, even the the sh- shop for Luthen, you know, and, and confining him to the back of his shop, where that's the only place that he can be himself or in his ship. You know, like there are other prisons. You can also think of Mon Mothma's apartment as a prison, right? Like. There are there are a bunch of different things for each of our characters um, that they're going through, which are their own individual prisons, even if they're not in a white and orange jumpsuit. And so I think that's what's been interesting as we move into this final arc is do we have do we get a resolution for these characters in this first season? Or are we building into a second season where then we really see them break free of a prison in the both literal sense, which I'm sure we'll get with Cassian, but also with a metaphorical sense of who they're supposed to become, what they're actually supposed to do, and breaking free of, of societal norms of whatever they think a rebellion might be, whatever they think a center might be, whatever they think they're destined to do. And I think that's what the show's asking. And I think it's been very, very gratifying to see Star Wars tackle it in this very slow, meaningful, deliberate way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The stuff you said about prisons. I mean, that that's what Chirrut says to Cassian in Rogue One. That I think you carry your prison with you. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. Um, but that entire idea will still be there with him. And it's it's an interesting thing where, you know, Maggie, you you've mentioned and I agree with you, um, enjoying seeing character backstories and stuff. Like we just had rings of power. It's like I love young Elrond. I'll watch I'll watch 30 hours of young Elrond. I am not a person. I love Better Call Saul. I think it's one of my favorite shows of all time. I think it's beautiful, perfect, wonderful. But there's always that in culture, there's always that pushback of like, do we need to find out everything? Do we need to know the way that they did yep. this and that? But wh- I think it's about choosing the the right characters to do that with and the right approach because Cassian is so interesting because his end point is not I'm a hero's hero now. That's not the end point. The end point, he still kills Tivik at the beginning of Rogue One. He's still in the the brutality sort of sect of the rebellion. He's still sort of in that darker world. So it's like we're not heading towards some great I'm Han Solo, I'm a hero now, I'm gonna marry the princess. He doesn't get that, but we can still explore that. So I guess Maggie, last thoughts on Cassian's arc, everything that we've talked about in terms of just like, again, like you said, finding out more about all this and then we'll start to wrap. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that what's so fun about all these stories is the world building and to people who think it doesn't need to be said, you just have the option to not hit the button on Disney Plus. And so like, follow your journey. But for what are you saying that people could just choose to not watch? (laughs) For me personally, I, I think it's great. There's again, it's a, a whole galaxy 
of of stories that are happening and some of them happening in tandem and they the way that they some weave together and some don't I think it makes the source material richer and more fun and it makes I think it makes me feel more connected because like the wild frontier of pew pew is not necessarily something that I experience but like people have experiences with unjust prison systems people have experiences with with you know work workplace dynamics to to really make mm. the <laughs> imperial office more mundane but like uh, all these different perspectives i think it all just adds more more layers that that connect and and make it an even more fun world to be a part of absolutely i mean when you look at the you know, like you were saying, Brandon, when you look at what we've had this year, yes, technically Book of Boba Fett is a 2021 show. I understand that. It had one episode right at the end of the year. But Book of Boba <laughs> Fett this year, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Tales, Andor, the the vast tonal differences, the different menu of Star Wars. I like that. I love that Andor is being followed by Bad Batch and Visions Volume 2. And then that Mando 3 will come out at some point. It seems like first quarter of the year, like... That entire idea of we're showing you this, but we're going to now really give you like intentional tonal whiplash of how many different things we can actually do, how many things we can actually be is really, really exciting. The fact that we can have this and Tales and High Republic and all the weird stuff happening in the Afro comics all happening at the same time is great. So Brandon, last thoughts, take us home, show us how good you are at closing an episode. No, no, no pressure. Uh no 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 that's too much pressure um what i will say this is star wars at its best this episode is fantastic um i'm very excited to see uh where all these new character arcs go obviously we know where andor and melshi eventually end up Mm -hmm. um but as we move into this next cycle of getting closer and closer to rogue one and more i keep thinking they were gonna show up which i'm sure he will at some point but like but as we get more and more Rogue One characters and more Rogue One themes, more Rogue One, you know, time, it really will be interesting to see how these characters move. And as we move into season two with all these time jumps, like we've been very lucky with this, right? I mean, we've maybe gone a couple months um, during the past few episodes, but as we yeah. move into years and years with the next time jumps, it is very nice to take a moment and appreciate that Star Wars is, has always been character driven, but this is, uh, incredibly character driven mm. and the fact that it's so slow and uh so just deliberate uh is really kind of a, a real gift and a real treat right now so that's that's my indoor hot take it's it's good indoor it's good hot take hot take he said something was good make sure you add him and tell <laughs> yeah. him that you disagree it's unequivocally good yeah please <laughs> jump in the comments <laughs> no yeah you're right you're right. Decompressed is the word. Decompression is sort of the name of the game right now. It has been since their 2000s and we started to unpack things. What used to be a five issue comic book arc is now a 20 issue arc. I've, I've said it on a different episode, but like think about something like Revenge of the Sith. Everyone's got their missions. Obi-Wan goes after General Grievous. But we didn't actually get time in the movie to sit with Obi-Wan on the ship on his way to Utapau, right. wondering about whether or not he was going to die. And that's what this show is. It's all the in-betweens. Um, we jumped 30 days just in the prison arc, you know, 30, 30 shifts yeah. later and things like that. So very interesting, very elegantly done. I think that Bo Willimon did. Uh, I don't know if it's Willimon or Willimon. I feel like I'm saying like Cinnamon is the Winnemon. <laughs> um, but yeah, and Toby Haynes, uh, just excellent direction. So 
Loved this episode. Loved this conversation. Thank you both so much for making the time. Oh, yeah, of course. Both busy people, and we'll have to talk again soon. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, what you're doing, what's going on with podcast with fangoria with insider everything that you've been doing maggie you go first what what are you, what's going on how can people find you uh you can find me at talking bay 94 on twitter that's bay b-a-e for less serious star wars musings than what you'll find over yonder I'm talking bay 94 yeah you can find me anywhere at talking bay 94 um we got some cool episodes coming up but then really i've been focusing a lot on insider um, the most recent one, 214, just came out, which has my interview with Beth Revis and Jim Swearingen, who designed all the original Kenner toys. That was very fun. The next one will have my interview with Natalie Holt, the composer for Kenobi, which Ooh. is very exciting. Nice. Um, so yeah, some cool stuff coming there. Um, and yeah, that's that's it. That's all we have to plug. Nothing, nothing too crazy this time around. What a disappointment. Only, only talking <laughs> to the composer Kenobi, only doing cool things. How, how dare you not have more? No, you, you're one of the best interviewers in the game. Uh, I love your show. I always love reading your work and seeing what you're doing. And, and you guys are both a joy. And I'm so glad that you uh, are able to not just share it with your listeners and everything, but also share it with each other. It's nice to have a, a Star Wars house where both people enjoy it. Not that everyone needs that if you're listening and you're like, but my spouse hates Star Wars. That's okay, too. It's okay to have it as your thing as well. Uh, as for me personally, you can find me everywhere at that Alden Diaz, T-H-A-T-A-L-D-E-N-D-I-A-Z. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, question mark. I posted two of them. I don't know if I like that app. Uh, I, I, I The interface is a little weird. I, don't, I, don't, I, I don't love know. TikTok. I'll, I will never post. I, yeah. I'm on TikTok all day. To just to yes. enjoy yeah yeah oh yeah for sure curate tiktoks curated tiktoks by oh. your friends the best when people know it'll make you laugh that's the best so you can find me on any of those octo radio star wars podcast is everywhere a-h-c-h-t-o radio you can find me on casterly talk with ken knapsock talking about all things song of ice and fire game of thrones house of the dragon we also just covered rings of power we're going to be getting into the jackson movies soon um because we got a long off season for both of those shows so we're going to need to fill it with things i also recently wrote for star trek.com i'm working on a couple other things for them right now that i hope you're going to be able to see soon and then in terms of interviews coming up on octo radio that i can talk about we're going to have lucasfilm's james Waugh coming up a conversation that i've been looking for forward to for a while um also zoraida cordova's coming for higher public dana jose older is coming back for higher public so we're about to ramp up into big fun higher public times and uh, a lot more on the way but as for right now for me we're talking bay 94 for talking bay 94 we will catch you next time bye bye guys punch it chewy